Totally Football Show and it's a Valentine's Day romance special. Solskjaer finally meeting his match but getting beaten to love and Spurs between two legs with Dortmund after opening up their visitors with a good Vertonghen. Now can they take them in the rear? Also FA Cup, your questions and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Bauer. Joining us, listener, on this Totally Football show, it's a joyous Julian Laurent. Hello. A rueful Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And a pipe-hitting homie, James Greencastle. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've had plumbing issues, James. Yes. Are they all sorted? Yes. Okay, they are that's sorted. good. All hey, good. Mark Cole says, who is happier this Thursday, Julian for the PSG win or Rafa for that Dortmund loss? Why would I be happy about Dortmund's loss? Well, Bayern Munich fans might be happy. Hmm, maybe, but... I I want this team to do well. I, first of all, I like them. I like the club. I like what they're doing. And um, I, I'm i one of those old school guys who kind of supports every German team in, right. the, in the competition. Very nice. Um, yeah. I'm very happy. You are yeah. very happy. I can imagine you as well. Him, why, uh, very shortly, we'll also be hearing, James, why anyone who watched Ajax against Real on Wednesday was the real winner. Oh, yeah. One of the best... Games of football I've seen this season. Really? Wow. Okay, well, that's to come. We're going to start at Wembley. Uh, Jules and Rafi, you both went along to see Spurs against Dortmund. Jack Lang writing, imagine saying to a Spurs fan a few months ago that for their first Champions League knockout game, they'd have no Harry Kane, no Deli Alley, no Trippier playing the runaway Bundesliga leaders and still at bloody Wembley. What would they have thought? And yet... What happened was Spurs' first ever knockout home win, a 3-0 victory that at half-time looked improbable. So what happened then in those 15 minutes? Well, what happened was that um, Spurs played 30 metres high up the pitch and the pressing on the first ball out from Dortmund within a minute of the game restarting paid dividends because Mm. Ashraf, Ashraf Hakimi gave the ball away in a really dangerous space and um, they put in a beautiful cross I think Vertonghen for um, for Son who always scores against Dortmund and scored one more time 9-11 and 11 now and Dortmund never really recovered from that and then made made more mistakes at the back so not sort of the biggest of tactical ploys or switches but it made a big difference because in the first half Dortmund had enjoyed a lot of space Spurs were quite deep were a little bit worried about their flanks being exposed Dortmund had a lot of possession but really couldn't really go anywhere. In the second half, they had no possession and couldn't really go anywhere. So <laughs> it was a big, big improvement on, on behalf of Spurs. The, the, the genius tactical switch, I guess, came even before the match started with Vertonghen playing at, at wing-back. It didn't look that genius for yeah. the first 45 minutes. The, no. The second half, though, you think, why has he not been doing this all his life? I, I, yeah, I, because that's not his game. I mean, I don't think we will ever see him doing that kind of cross again and then scoring... Half an hour later, well, the kind of goal. Was a great finish. No, the finish no. was amazing. His, his position as well, like Raf said, they played so high that when when they got that ball back for the second goal and Oye crossed, there was only Son and Vatongen, their left wing back, in the box, which was you know incredible, and that would have never happened in the in the first half. But I think Pochettino half time told them to play higher and put put them under more pressure. I think he showed them a few clips as well on on the first half. What what they were doing far too deep. He showed them clips at half time. Yeah, and and uh, like little video clips about the positioning and how deep they were, too deep they were in the, in the first half, and how they should correct that and play higher. And 
And obviously by scoring so early in the second half, it made life easier for them because then it was far easier for them to control the game in, in, in Dortmund's half. But I think, yeah, he deserves a lot of credit. Is that a standard thing now to show yeah. people the kind yeah. of highlights of the first half? Yeah, I mean, they'll have an analysis team um, watching the game, cutting these these things, and then they'll offer them for the coach to show to the players at half time. So it's not systematic. They don't, all the big coaches or you know, don't do it every half time. But if they feel like, okay, this is what we did in the first half and this is what we should be doing, mm. then they use it and it's very useful. And I think they, the, the player responded really well to it. Th- those first half highlights, no doubt, were full of uh, Jaden Sancho being filthy, but but he was uh, much quieter in the second half and was eventually uh, withdrawn by Lucien Favre. James, I know you, you won't have seen any of this because you were off watching. I the, did watch. I watched the entire Spurs game, but I was just yeah. it was a little bit of <laughs> okay. narrative license. But you, but, but by the end, even Lorente scored. What was his first goal coming off the bench for Spurs? Apparently, which, given how much he comes off the bench for Spurs, mm-hmm. is remarkable. Johnny Blaine actually leaping to the Spaniards' defence this morning. Lorenti this season, he points out, he had the assist for Kane's 78th minute equaliser against PSV. He got the winner against Watford yep. late on. Same minute as well, 87. Yeah, assist for Sun's 83rd minute winner against Newcastle. Assist for Eriksen's goal against Leicester. Third goal last night. Five absolutely massive contributions. Generous, I would say. But anyway, what's the reaction been in Dortmund? I think a slight sense of embarrassment. I mean, Dortmund had a lot of problems going into this game and ultimately they they showed. I mean, if you look at the back four, you have a centre-back playing as a left-back. You have another centre-back who hadn't played (laughs) in two months. Um, You had a fifth-choice centre-back as the most senior guy. And uh, you had an Ashraf Hakimi, a hugely talented and, and very attack-minded um, fullback on the right-hand side, but who still makes these kind of mistakes, unfortunately. That's still sort of within this game. And one of the reasons why Lucien Favre at the beginning of the season uh, took some persuasion before he actually... took some persuading before he actually started playing him more regularly. So that was, that was really the difference. And, of course, um, up front they also were missing... Paco Alcacé and Marco Royce. Mm. Um, it was just a little bit too much, I think. Uh, if they'd taken one of their chances in the first half, the game could have very easily gone in a different way with Spurs opening up and with Dortmund being able to play on the counter-attack. As it is, I think they will find this very regrettable and, as I said, a little bit embarrassing in terms of you know their own standing in Europe and um, the reflection on, on the Bundesliga as well. But they kind of have bigger fish to fry um, considering that they're five points clear at the top, they want to win their first championship since 2012, and they're still in a good position. So, I think this will be put down to a lack of experience and to growing pains. And um, I'm writing a piece uh, this morning for ESPN where I remind people that Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund were routinely embarrassed in European football on their way to their first two domestic titles because the team was just very young couldn't quite make their game work in UEFA Cup in the Champions League they they were outclassed two years running before they started to mature and became a much more sort of rounded side and I think you saw that a little bit last night as well a bit worried Raf that this is part of a trend now where 2019 they've gone out of uh, the cup in Germany they're conceding lots of goals and lots of late goals was it nine in three games now Uh, it's a very young team are they wobbling under some of the pressure? Well, Lucien Favre was asked that very same question and his his answer was very typical, very unemotional, very dry. Uh, no, I'm not worried. Um, we will 
analyzed the mistakes and we will correct them. I think what he really was sort of implying and then saying this, these things happen in football, I think what he was saying is that um, with with the injuries that we have at the moment, you almost kind of anticipate these kind of problems, but these are not problems that are systemic or, or long-lasting. He sees them as temp- temporary. And um, I think if they have one or two of their bigger players coming back, maybe even for the second leg, if they're a bit more clinical and a bit more switched on, they gave away some really stupid goals, not just last night, but also in the game against Werder and in the game against Hoffenheim. There is no reason to believe that Dortmund shouldn't really come back into getting the kind of results that their their quality warrants. So, but not in this tie, presumably. Not in this tie. Um, you know, it's not beyond um, beyond them to, to beat Spurs uh, in the second leg. It's not unfeasible to to expect them to be as good as they were against Atletico where they beat them 4-0 a, a result that nobody would have anticipated at the time mm. certainly Diego, Diego Simeone didn't he's never been been beaten this heavily so these things can happen but of course to have any realistic chance they really need to have their best team out and they need to have their best or their big players in form and right now too many players are out, and those who are back, like Zagadou, who really looked very, very rusty. Yeah, he did. Um, it was just a bit too much for them to to deal with. I mentioned that Sancho, uh, I think everyone was raving about him in the first half, and that was put a little bit in perspective by the way that he, like these teammates, were shut yeah, down. What I about- actually felt, in this, even in the first half, he looked a little bit, a little bit apprehensive, a little really? bit um, uh, as if the occasion was getting him to him a little bit because he got into these really good areas, and then the final ball didn't quite come off. Sometimes mm. he would overplay it and other times he took the easy way out and just passed it back. And that was kind of symptomatic of Dortmund's game a little bit in the first half where they weren't quite sure just how much they should attack mm. the Spurs team. Again, I think a sign of inexperience and just that little bit of lack of of, of game management and game knowledge to know that when a team is um, performing quite poorly or at least not quite at it as Spurs were in the first half, you need to punish them. Right. And Dortmund failed to do that. A last word then on Spurs beating a Dortmund team that had only conceded two goals in the entire group stage. Was that second half, was that the best half of football you've seen from Spurs in a very long time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, I thought the second half against United was very good in, in the Premier League and they didn't take the chances. The difference was that last night they took the chances on, on Wednesday night. They took the chances. The Sun goal is, is I mean, the cross is inch perfect from Vertonghen. And the cross from Oye for the second goal is inch perfect for Vertonghen as well. And then, I mean, they got a bit lucky on the on the third goal for Llorente because it's, it's, the defending should be much better. But but yeah, they took their chances. They played so well as a team. I still think that Wings and Sissoko, as we saw in the first half, when Dortmund was so well drilled with Dahoud, Delaney and, and Vitzel in midfield, that Spurs struggled in that area. And I wonder when they will play against the strongest team, how Winks and Sissoko and whoever plays with them will cope with that. But last night, on the evidence of last night, yeah, it was certainly one of the best half of the season. I think the hugely impressive thing about Spurs yesterday was that they dealt with their own problems so well. Because I didn't think they actually played a particularly good game over the 90 minutes. But they realised their problems, they realised the limitations of the team. Uh, Pochettino dealt with it with the formation. He didn't really have the um, that much width, so he put two guys there just to um, to stretch the to stretch the game, and there were a lot of diagonal balls, and they didn't really kind of play their usual slick passing game, apart from one or two moments. But it didn't matter because they were so clinical and so effective. They were like a really tough, street smart European side. Everything that 
those who level these accusations about them, about a lack of character and mentality, Keely. would have to admit that they were the exact opposite of that. Yeah, so just, I know, what a huge change from last year, where at this point they were getting schooled in European street now spy Juventus. Yeah, but um, I think another thing is this was the 22nd game Spurs have played in 78 days. Mm. And now they've got 10 days off, James, because they're not in the FA Cup. Right. By which time, uh, they'll be aware, Bernie, they should have Harry Kane and Ali back. What are the stats about their form with Kane and without? Well, with Kane, James, it's 60% win ratio. Without him, 59%. So, Mm. very little difference. Makes you think. Mm. James, a stat about Sun scoring? Well, every time he scored, James, Spurs have have won. So, uh, Richard Pochettino last night was saying, as soon as he does... He's just going to get off the bench, go down the dressing room, have a shower because that's it. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Jules, Tuesday night, Old Trafford, Man United, PSG, beyond your wildest dreams. Actually, no, you have pretty wild dreams, but an incredibly, <laughs> an incredibly good result. In a football for, sense. In, in a football, football sense. sense. Was, was the moment, and again, a bit like with the Spurs game, the first half didn't really... I think, presage what was going to come afterwards. Was the turning point when Ashley Young unwisely barged Angel Di Maria into the into the sideline kind of railing? I saw that written. I, I don't think so. Certainly the, the PSG players and the, the staff and Tuchel didn't, didn't think so either. Didn't think that he had much of an impact on the game. I think Di, Di Maria was fired up as soon as he got off the coach when they arrived at Old Trafford and was booed already. Mm. And apparently the reaction in the dressing room was like, why? Why so much... Animosity towards you, and I think that fired him up. The the young incident didn't, I don't think, had much of an impact on the game. Uh, on that on that point of view. Okay. Well, whatever the reason was, he had an absolutely extraordinary game. We did flag him up as being potentially a massive danger for PSG, but w- what a great performance from him. Yeah, incredible. Obviously, the two assists on the two goals, the second one especially um, for the for the Kylian Mbappe goal. He, I think he felt like he had a point to prove, and fair enough. He wanted to show that what happened to him at United and that bad season he had there with, with Van Gaal when he never got on with the manager, when stuff were happening as well in his private life. And he wanted to, to show them that he was still a very good player. And he was, he was very instrumental and key in the game plan that Tuchel had on and for him to play wide and play with a lot of, of width. And they, I, they identified, and rightly so, but not that it's genius, that Ashley Young was the weak link or the weakest link of that United defence and that if Di Maria could cause him a lot of problems on that left-hand side, then they would, they would score. So he sets up uh, Kimpembe and then follows that with a bit, little bit of French, little bit of French language aimed at the old, <laughs> old Trafford crowd. And yeah. then... And then his assist and that extraordinary run from Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, and I think for me this, that second goal sums, sums, sums everything up in that game. The, the two-hole game plan, which was just perfect from start to finish. Uh, that second goal took 23 seconds and eight passes from the time that Marquinhos and Dani Alves doubled up on, on Pogba, which was always the plan. Either Draxler or Dani Alves had to come and help Marquinhos on his man marking on, on Pogba because, again, Tuchel, and, and I'm not saying he's genius, but Tuchel knew that if you cut the relationship between Pogba and the front three, then United wouldn't create anything. And that's exactly what happened. And Marquinhos put Pogba in his back pocket. And when they got the ball back and then the eight passes and the one from Bernard, the left back coming inside like, Pep Guardiola, for example, asked his, his fullbacks to do at City to then release Di Maria for the cross and the run from Mbappe 
is just sensational. And the pace of it... 31 yards, 3.24 seconds. It's also because Bailly has maybe five, ten metre head start on him and he just puts the afterburners on and comfortably finishes ahead of him. Is there anything that the defenders could have done in that situation? Well, I think Bailly hesitates a little bit. He he looks at the ball um, at Di Maria and checks his stride a little bit and that gives Mbappe that extra split second to get ahead of him. But I think... uh, Ashley Young massively at fault in this in this goal um, because, as Jules mentioned, Burnett comes inside uh, in his own half and Ashley Young follows him. And all of a sudden, uh, Burnett looks up, spots Di Maria, is completely free, and you, you just see the moment of realisation in Young's face, just kind of, uh-oh, I'm screwed here. And, yeah, I mean, Di Maria had all the time in the world to put that ball in. Um, but yeah, I think Mbappe. You just reminded of the speed that he has. But I think to be able thirty-four kilometers of an hour after making that kind of a of an effort. Yeah, and uh, in the first half, they hadn't really been able to release him. Uh, there was that one bit on the right-hand right. sideline where he just left Lindelof for dust. Um, I mean, just really exceptional display, not only from him and Marquinhos, but also Verratti. Verratti was exceptional, I thought, and allowed. Uh, Marquinhos to have the influence um, Tuchel wanted him to have on Pogba because with Marquinhos following Pogba around everywhere Verratti had to be very tactically disciplined about the spaces that he occupied without the ball and also there was one moment where United had a chance to break on uh, PSG and it was essentially a 1v1 between Martial and Verratti. Verratti goes to the ground comes away with the ball. He ended up going off injured because he blocked a shot yeah, from outside. I, the, I mean, he put himself about. People don't associate that with Verratti. They just think he's a playmaker. He, he sets a tempo of a passing game for a team. But without the ball, I thought he was brilliant at Old Trafford. I don't think he was injured. It was just he gave so much. And Tuchel asked him, because he was not fit, that's the thing. He played 60 minutes in a month. And considering uh, the sort of lifestyle that he has... And the you know the smoking, the drinking, and the, the partying. He was not fit. And Tuchel said to him, "Give me, give me sixty minutes. Give me an hour, your best hour. And mm. then we've got Paredes, who's ready to come on." And he gave he gave them seventy five minutes. Do you think Tuchel is finally the manager who's cracked it, who's been able to do something that no one in the modern area or the, the Qatar uh, reign has done, which is to impose a sense of collective discipline. Ooh, ooh. What? Well, I'm going to ask. Why are you waving? Is, yeah, no, I'm just going to say, because this is the thing. No Neymar. This has been a big narrative in the post-Tuesday reaction. You know, whether the fact that Neymar wasn't there, that he didn't have to field three up top, could that have been one of the keys to why they looked so good here when they didn't last, when was it, September when they were at Anfield? Yeah, September. It's, well, we will never know, obviously. You, you know that if Neymar had been on the left-hand side, he wouldn't have crossed the ball like Di Maria did. And if Cavani had been in the centre, he would have never been able to score the goal that... Mbappe did. Is this the end for Neymar, do you think? No, 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 at all. They would have played differently. It's just that we would never know what would have happened. They could have <laughs> they could have won four 0 with Neymar and Cavani. But 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 I think Raf's point is is spot on, or at least that's the way he feels. They keep front page this morning is the, the conductor and it's exactly how we feel at the club. He's that not only is a tactical genius, but also he has managed to bring those players who for so many years have played in very individually as, as a team and Neymar had he been there they would have played a bit differently because Neymar is a genius by himself and, and you play differently when he's there mm. but the team spirit and the collective strength is, is, is amazing and he, he built that up and I remember after the Liverpool defeat 
someone in a newspaper that I won't name here in England, <clears throat> but maybe you worked for them before. I don't know. Anyway, wrote that PSG were ridiculous. Probably it was everything shade. but a team. It was like that was not football. Blah, and I was like, whoa, okay. I wonder what that guy thinks now because I thought on Tuesday. As a team, they were sensational. And that's what Tuchel has worked so hard for. And he knows that. He said at the end, and he said to the players before the game, and I'll be brief, I promise. He said, the only way we can win tonight right. is by being a team and behave like a team and play like a team. And that's exactly what they did. Well, and Neymar Cavani had been there, it would have been the same. You, that's, it's the rush to judgment, isn't it? It's, it's, it's counting your chickens before they hatch. That's what no, that but he arrived in July. He, I mean, he arrived in May. But... to Sancho last night. Some of the reaction was, oh, you know, when he comes up in against grown-up football in England, where it's more physical, he can't hack it. You're going to judge him on 79 yeah, minutes. Are you serious? And for Tuchel, it was the same. He needs a bit of time. You can't work magic like I this. I wonder what that writer would be thinking now. But then again, who knows what you'll be saying in three weeks' time after the second leg? Because on one <laughs> hand, Jules... Oh, James. No, no, because on one hand, no team has ever won by two goals or more away in the Champions League and then not gone through. But on the other hand, <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain, Jules... I know, but they're at home. United will have no Pogba, probably no Martial, no Lingard. I, I don't think, yeah, they can, they can probably do anything is possible in football. I don't see it happening. And I think this game at Old Trafford, even against the team, United team that, okay, maybe was not as good as some people said in this country and, you know, this and that, it was still a, it was still a huge turning point, I think, in PSG's season. Psychologically, it was a huge win. I know you don't really like to go on about PSG, but uh, <laughs> one, more, one more question maybe uh, that I have for you. Um, rather than saying now Neymar out and Cavani out, should we perhaps say make this team Mbappe's team and actually put him in a position where he can do this uh, more often during the game? Yes, yeah, it would be the debate as well because I think Tuesday reminded us for, for the one who had forgotten how incredible he is at 20 years of age. He has now scored at Old Trafford, at Anfield, at the Etihad, uh-huh. in Dortmund, at the Juventus Stadium, at the Allianz Arena as well. He He's only 20. He scored 14 Champions League goals in 24 games it's just it's just incredible yeah and he could have were it not for De Gea's remarkable save because I mean, he deserves a bit of credit mm. for that that hand he got out could he could have had the third goal as well no? and I think that is also amazing is that after the game on French television he said like I'm, frust- I'm frustrated I'm really frustrated everyone was so happy and he was like I should have scored that goal I should have scored, I should, I should have scored that chance this is a chance that I should score mm. you know I should have I, I could have had a hat trick tonight and he and th- th- I think that's why he will become the best very soon and the Ballon d'Or winner and everything so, because he's 20 and the only thing he thinks five minutes after full time at Old Trafford is I should have scored a hat-trick tonight As for United uh, you'll have seen no doubt that it was the first time they lost by a margin of more than one goal at Old Trafford in European competition ever in their history and Duncan Alexander reminding us that the only manager to win a Champions League knockout game since the 2010-2011 season, what is that, eight years now, is David Moyes. Yeah. Outstanding. The honeymoon over, I think Raph, it was only one game, though. Against Olympiakos as well. well so. Yeah, but uh, credit where credit's due. The honeymoon over for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after, what was it, 52 unbeaten days? Was he shown up or was it, was it the mid-game injuries to the likes of Lingard and uh, Martial? Is that what changed it? What happened? I think there is a real danger of overestimating the agency of of managers. Sometimes it's underestimated and sometimes you see the difference that can be made. Pochettino made a big difference in the second half. Tuchel got things right that perhaps his predecessors didn't. On this particular game, to put the finger of blame at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with a very inferior team, 
with the game plan shot to pieces after his two counter-attacking players come off injured is, I think, completely ridiculous. I don't think you can um, consider this a tactical lesson or he being schooled. The, the starting points are so disparate that I don't think it makes sense in, in thinking these terms. What I do think it means for him, though, uh, in the long run, is that for the United hierarchy, if they were paying attention and, and understand the game, and that's maybe a couple of big ifs there, but um, they, I think, would have been aware of the size of the challenge, just how far United as a team are still away from the very top of European football. And I think that poses a bigger question mark about him um, as the right choice to oversee this real big new build that they still need rather than any tactical problems he might have experienced on the night because I don't think it's, for the reasons I just said, I don't think it really makes sense to think about these terms. But United will think we need a guy that can take this club and take the team and give us a big push like a Pochettino has done, like Klopp has done in Liverpool. And I'm just not 100% sure that... Ole Gunnar for all the positive things he's done, mm. is quite the guy for, for doing that. And I think that is the big question that rises now after this tie. One of the big tests that people have been saying will lie in store for him was how he can get United to react when they finally do get, get beaten and will get a, a measure perhaps of their bounce-back ability. This Monday, mm. when they face a whopping FA Cup game, it is away at Crisis Club Chelsea. <laughs> well, James, I mean, just to... Um, follow on from that um, I think it's it's very important for Solskjaer to keep the enthusiasm that he's generated going because the, the, chocolate bars you think the, the run of fixtures that they've got you mentioned Chelsea mm. they've then got Liverpool what? they go to Palace um, play Southampton but then they've got PSG away then it's Arsenal um, away then the Manchester derby so this this run of fixtures is is very it's uphill tough. but as he said in his post-match press conference I always like his his approach, it's like, well, it's, we've got a mountain to climb, but mountains are there to be climbed. Um, I think, you know, he, he is very positive. Listeners, as you know, the Totally Football Show is the proud sponsor of Melchester Rovers, the team of Roy Race, a.k.a. Roy of the Rovers. Roy's been rebooted for a new generation of readers, and he's now a 16-year-old superstar in waiting who's broken through into League Two Melchester's first team. Our hero Roy's got it all, the skill, the talent and the eyes of the sporting world upon him. Except, of course, there's more to life than football. His dad's in a wheelchair and needs looking after, his mum's working all hours and what about his sister? Well, his sister wants to play football too and she won't leave Roy alone until he helps her do something about it. Foul play and teamwork are the perfect gift for football mad kids or grown-ups who remember the good old days. Pick up your copy everywhere you buy books, including Amazon, Waterstones and Sainsbury's and find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Man United play at the Theatre of Dreams. And speaking of theatres of dreams, Jules, we're going to tread the boards at one of Yorkshire's finest playhouses on the night of Monday the 15th of April. James, it is Totally Football Live in Leeds. Are you familiar with Leeds City Varieties? Uh-huh, yes. Great, OK. Well, if, uh, if you'd like to be a listener, then go to cityvarieties.co.uk when uh, tickets will go on sale tomorrow, uh, that's Friday, for our date there, Monday the 15th of April. We'll update you, of course, with news on who's on and more of that kind of thing in the next few weeks. Totally Football Live in Leeds, Monday 15th of April, cityvarieties.co.uk. Now, Champions League. 
bitter disappointment, bitter, James, for Ajax in their clash with Real Madrid. Yeah, I think this was an unjust result, really. Um, it was one of the best football games I've seen this season. Wow, what was so great about it? Just to see the reigning European and world champions absolutely battered for, well, certainly the first 20 minutes, but Ajax were able to keep up that intensity for an hour. Just caused them all kinds of problems. You think of that Madrid midfield um, with Modric and Kroos, who um, could not were unable to lift their heads up and string a pass together. Um, Ajax put them under so much pressure. Um, I think you know they at least deserved the draw. It was uh, reminiscent of that scene in Game of Thrones, James, where Oberyn Martell uh, ends up fighting the mountain. Oh, and he pops his skull. And yeah, and Oberyn. But he doesn't take his chance. Exactly. Ajax yeah. were Oberyn. Exactly. But he's also too arrogant. Well, I mean, you associate that with Ajax, There was no VAR in Game of Thrones, though, and that was key, wasn't it? Well, it was key, but I think it was the right decision. Did you think? Yeah, and I actually welcome UEFA, after the game, putting out a tweet explaining the thought process of the VAR and the referee. So Courtois fails to control a ball which bounces out Mm. and then is headed in from... Taliafico? Yeah, Taliafico. Right, Okay. Who had previously been... uh, No, but another player had been standing in Courtois' way when the head goes in. I think it was Taliafico was in uh, an offside position. He went to challenge the ball with Courtois. And you could see that his uh, left foot is minimally offside. I mean, it's so fractional. Um, And he was perhaps interfering uh, as well with with Courtois' ability to to see and to obviously challenge for that that header. Mm. Um, So I think it was was the correct decision. Um, uh, Sergio Ramos in this game, there's been some controversy because he's got himself booked. Um, He says it wasn't deliberate. Um, although I thought he first admitted after yeah, the game that he, so that he had taken the yellow deliberately. But Ramos in this game, one of the best centre-back performances I've seen in a long time. He was the only player on that Real Madrid side who defended. The amount of times he saved them with last gasp kind of sliding tackles and, and the whole shebang, he was incredible. Um, and okay, people will will be probably focusing on this yellow card and mm. the suspension, but in terms of a centre back display, watch that because okay. it was it was magnificent. So two one was the final score. Benzema on a great assist from Vinicius. Yeah, opens the scoring. Ziyech equalises. Mm. But then, what, time added on when Asensio uh, nabs the win for Real Madrid. Sergio Ramos picking up the yellow card in the, 90, the 89th minute. <laughs> and first of all, there's some question about whether he might get an extended ban because... because uh, well, I think that's what happened to Jesus Corona. Yeah. But his suggestion was, or this suggestion was, that he felt that this game is over, so he, he might as well sit out the next... But that's a remarkable viewpoint to take after this, this first leg, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, even though that Madrid have got two away goals and you're asking a very young Ajax side to go to the Bernabeu and win by, by, by two clear goals, um, you know, I think it is a pretty remarkable uh, way of looking at things um, because they were just so second best. They won it through moments of individual brilliance. Um, you know, Vinicius, for example, uh, with an incredible run um, across goal, beating two, three Ajax defenders and then putting it on a plate for Karim Benzema. And then Asensio with just an exquisite finish um, for, for, for the winner. Aside from that, Madrid faded. Ajax faded in the final 20 minutes. But aside from that, you would the game plan that Ajax had, the way they went for it, the atmosphere at the Amsterdam Arena, it was so loud. 
Um, just it was a delight to see such a young team, yeah, you know, dancing with the ball essentially, just uh, really delighting in in the football. Is that it wasn't a the first knockout game that Ajax had played in the Champions League for a long time, as though it was just they were playing along with with their mates in the park. It was just it was incredible to watch. To, I think to highlight everything that. Hamish just said and the, the pressure that Ajax put on Real Madrid Real Madrid lost the ball 151 times what? in 90 minutes that's almost twice a minute Jules are you and, sure? yeah no, definitely and I think the, the, the other game where they lost more was against Lewandowski's Dortmund in 2013 uh-huh. and I'm talking games without extra time in them uh-huh. and I think that game where they were completely outplayed was over 200, 200 times but wow. it shows you 151 times how, how much they were under pressure alright you're known for your bold predictions James <laughs> Can you see Ajax turning this around at the Bernabeu? Uh, well, I can see them outplaying Madrid again, but yeah. I, I, I can't see them getting the result they need to progress. Even um, without Ramos, who was the key? I think the, the issue, and one of the reasons why Ajax played so well is they didn't have a, a natural centre-forward. Tadic was playing as a false nine, mm. and, and, and that meant that they were able to dominate kind of in midfield and basically play in uh, Real Madrid's half for much of the game. When Dolberg came on, he fluffed the chance in the 92nd minute. If they had a proper striker... Um, maybe, but I think that's that's ultimately what what cost them. They created so much, but it was the the finishing that let them down, and that ultimately was was the difference. Real had four shots, scored twice, and Onana had made two really good saves. Right. If they get an early goal though at the Bernabeu, wow. Mm. Also, I mean, yeah. after the game, it's quite interesting. Onana, the um, the Cameroonian goalkeeper for Ajax, was asked about Matthias De Ligt. Oh yeah. Um, and his future because we know that Frankie De Jong is going to Barcelona. Mm. And uh, and he said that Delict had told him that he would like to go to Barcelona right. as well. Interesting. So. Okay, the other game midweek is also looking pretty delicately poised. A two-one victory for Roma at home to Porto. That's Porto's first defeat in the Champions League this season. First defeat in twenty-seven matches in all competitions. Uh, if you don't include penalty shootouts, that is uh, really impressive from Zaniolo. Yeah. Uh, after a, a youngest, difficult first half. Youngest Italian player to score a brace in the Champions League. Um, and he is looking like the real deal. There was a lot of excitement over this one performance, but just in terms of the last couple of months for Roma, he's been looking like an exceptional acquisition, particularly for the money they, they paid. Yeah, exactly. He was um, a bargaining chip in the swap deal that sent Rajanai Ingolan, um to Inter. And uh, the more and more uh, performances you see from Zaniolo... It's looking like that deal was as bad for Inter as selling Roberto Carlos Roberto to Real Madrid, Coutinho or Bonucci to to Genoa, and then obviously you'd go on to to um, to play for Juventus. They've made some shocking, <laughs> they've made some really bad deals. So yeah, I mean, if you look at the goals, Pirlo to Milan, yeah, yeah, Seidorf as well. Yeah, um, they don't look spectacular the goals, but he finishes with his left, his right. Um, he's just unflappable, and he can play. He's played all over the pitch for Roma this season um, under Di Francesco. He's on the right wing um, on Tuesday night, but he can play as a 10. He can play midfield. Really special talent. How much will Porto's away goal come back to haunt Roma at the Dragão? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is the worry. Um, it's, it was the one blemish on an otherwise very good second half performance from uh, from Roma. Um, I think the one thing that people are unsure of this uh, Roma side is, is the defence. Um, you know, be it with Olsen in goal, who was injured for this game, who's had ups and downs this year, um, and whoever's alongside Manolas, um, because you know Fazio's had a few ricks in him. Um, so Di Francesco said after the game, we're not going to go 
to Portugal basically to defend this result. Um, we are going to, yeah, we're going to go for it. Um, and and I think if they score, which they're perfectly able to do, not only with Zaniola, but Dzeko had a very, very good game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've still got confidence that Roma can progress. Indeed. Okay, well, much more to come as we take a look at some of the key games coming up this weekend in England with the FA Cup and the big matches abroad. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, hey, mate, mate. Hey, doing, mate? and always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. Season season by 18 plus begamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Guys, Gordon Banks passing away earlier this week, sadly, at the age of 81. A legend for anyone growing up anywhere near English football. What kind of status did he enjoy abroad? He hailed as making the greatest save in all time and all that. But in, in France, what, what was your view of Gordon Banks? Was he held in similar esteem? He was the, yeah, the save of the century. That's how we had it on, like, you know, DVDs in French about World Cups French and stuff goalkeepers, like that. goalkeepers, not much competition there. Of course, it was. Just, just, we know how to appreciate an, another very good goalkeeper from another country, right. and like right. you Germans. So yeah, it was it was very much in like what we didn't know is what a, a great guy he was as well. And mm. domestically, we didn't know much about you know his career with Stoke and everything. But yeah, it was it was portrayed as the the greatest save ever. Right, Rafa. What about in Germany? I think. Um, not so much of a high profile because 1966 is forever famous for other reasons not necessarily for what happened on the uh, between the posts on the english side of the pitch so um of course uh, for a certain generation seen as the the all-time greats at the time you know a world cup winning keeper um and and a huge stature in the game but i don't think that necessarily sort of people below 40 or 50 had much of an idea of just how much he meant in this country mm. Um, I think that's simply because of the um, kind of the lack of European exposure or sort of TV exposure that he's had since those years. And it's kind of just natural. Well, the greatest between the posts. And as you say, Jules, a, a thoroughly, a thorough gentleman offered as well and will be much missed. Now, the FA Cup this weekend, it's the fifth round. And Jules, disappointingly, there'll be no replayed matches. But... There are some exciting games in store. Kicks off on Friday as QPR take on Wolves. Is that right? No, no Watford. Watford. Kicks off on Friday as QPR take on Watford. And uh, well, it's the big game, obviously, is on Monday as Chelsea take on Man United in, in a first test of Solskjaer's ability to bring his team back from that big defeat they suffered on, on Tuesday. Potentially as well, people say it could be the final nail in the Sarri coffin at Stamford Bridge, which sounds extraordinary, but there you go. So much riding on this match. Presumably Martial is out. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay. Lingard. Who scored both goals in that 2-2 draw that United had at the bridge in October. Chelsea will be returning from their trip to Sweden, Malmo, on Thursday in the Europa League. 
What do you think? I think it's as much a, a test of of for, for Mauricio Sarri of a reaction, but it's not the first one like Solskjaer. I think it's, it's the, it, it was the same after the Spurs defeat for Chelsea and the Arsenal defeat, and now obviously the biggest of all, a City. And is Don't he going to get the Bournemouth defeat? <laughs> and the Bournemouth defeat in a way, yeah. Sorry, yeah. And they at least they're back at home, but. I mean, the question I think will he change something once again is what we've talked about all season. Is he going to change something? Is he not going to change something? Are we going to see exactly the same formation with Jorginho employed in the same way? And of course, when they're at home, it's a bit different. They don't feel as much pressure than when they go away from home, for example. But I think it's a fascinating one to see how he approaches this game and how the player responds. They've approached it by drawing 3 3 with the youth team. Right. It'd be more difficult for United to press them without the likes of Martial and Lingard. So I think that the big sort of lesson that, that Manchester City uh, took away or, or sort of employed was, you know, to just harass them and, and cut down the supply through Jorginho. I think for United, it'll not be quite as easy to replicate that uh, that system. Mm. Would it really kill Sarri to put James. Kante? You don't have to change so much. I'm just talking about put Kante next yeah. to Jorginho, make it more of a double pivot it doesn't necessarily change all that much going forward it just gives you maybe perhaps a little bit more solidity for the back four is it why is it such an article of faith did he ever only ever play with one guy in front of the back four at, at Napoli I well, don't remember that I team mean, playing that way he had a kind of Pac-Man style player beside him in Allen um, who would you know cover every play to grass regain the ball yeah he wants Conte to be Allen basically right mm. That's why he wants a Chelsea. But, but Allen had a deeper starting position. Yeah. Fair. But I think the the first City game where they where they beat City, um, you had in that case Kante was a lot closer to Jorginho in 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 that one. Um, sort of break up everything around him. Um, I just think um, it's, it's very interesting now that we've got so far into the season and we, the players at Chelsea. I don't th- I think they're beginning to doubt the style. Even though they've enjoyed it, I think they are beginning to... I mean, you only have to look at the reports in the Spanish press. You know, you know how many Spanish players are on that Chelsea side about, you know... Or former. Yeah, exactly. About about what they think of Sadi's mm. ideas, at least. Mm. Um, to, to worry for him a little right. bit. And I think it's, it's a shame because he's defended them so strongly in, in, the, <laughs> in the press. He's got, he's got some tough games coming up. Malmo... Uh, this evening, then City in the League Cup final as well, and their next Premier League game is at home to Spurs. Mm. Wow, how how real is the threat to his job in the next few weeks? Well, I think it ultimately will depend on the feedback that the club gets from the from the dressing room and the people around him. So um, real then? Well, I, I, it depends whether they are serious about um, this being a a long-term project, mm. whether they really want to see that Sarri style of football, because I think it will take more than one transfer window to bring in the players that he needs to affect this kind of uh, of change. Because as we've seen over the last four or five months, he is very much committed to that way of playing, um, and he will not ad- he will not adapt. Um, I think it's also a very different circum- situation to what you know Pep Guardiola's first season at City. Where a lot of comparisons have been drawn there about him having to figure out how to adjust his ideas to Premier League football. He also had the backing uh, at City that I don't think Sally has, but particularly in the transfer market. You know, when it turns, we'll just go and blow all these these millions on three fullbacks. We'll pay fifty million apiece for them. 
the difference between Guardiola is also, of course, that Guardiola is Guardiola. Yeah, sure. No, uh, I, I take that. And I think that is the biggest problem for Sari. I mm. think he's, I think he's being compared with Andreas Boas and with Scolari to a certain extent because he cannot necessarily rely on big past achievements. Certainly not at club level. If we want to, you know, include Scolari in the conversation, so that makes it, I think, more difficult for the players to really buy into it. Yeah, on an emotional level, they don't seem to be buying into him that much, mm. um, as far as we can tell from the outside looking in. From a technical level, they don't seem to be 100% convinced in his ideas either. Well, you only mentioned of how many times that uh, players talk about Guardiola or Conte and say, why is he telling me this, giving me this instruction? It sounds a bit weird, it sounds a bit strange. And then you play and you see, ah, actually, he was right. I wonder with Chelsea players at this moment in time where they're being told things and they're saying this will happen and it's not happening and that creates a doubt that's mm-hmm. that's the issue anyway Monday we'll see if those doubts are answered or heightened by the arrival of Man United in that crucial FA Cup fifth round draw Newport in one of the most exciting I think fixtures of this weekend will be welcoming Man City to Rodney Parade Man City put seven past Rotherham in this competition then five past Burnley in the League Cup, they put 10 past Burton, plus, of course, 6 past Chelsea. What? Anyone feeling bold and want to tip Newport? I think it's good that Manchester City will face a real test uh, before they come up against the likes of Schalke. So, oof. Oh. Hey. Well, M- Mickey Flynn's bigging up uh, his exiles, uh, and in particular the Rodney Parade pitch. I'll make sure there are three rugby games on it before they turn up. We'll give it our best shot. Come on, Jules. Newport, yeah, play, yeah, play with your <clears throat> with your weapons. Sorry, I think you know the, the a bad pitch <laughs> with your weapons. Literally. Yeah, and the bad pitch. <laughs> Siri, what are you asking well, the Siri, show with? me a mismatch. Yeah, play. I mean, why? Why would you have a perfect exactly. pitch to help you to help City when nope. when <clears throat> when when you can have a bad pitch that will help you and not them? Absolutely. And they've sprung some surprises there at the parade in previous seasons. Anyway, um, best of luck to Newport. Yes. Not sure how much effort we should put into previewing that match we'll, we'll see what happens it's going to be fascinating in terms of looking for upsets perhaps uh, there's more potential in the likes of the clash at Ashton Gate where Wolves will be visiting the hottest team in English football right now that's not called Man City Bristol City Bristol City yeah uh, Bristol City on Tuesday beat QPR 2-1 that was their ninth consecutive win Rafa how about that They've moved up to fifth in the championship in the process. They've knocked out Premier League opposition on the way here. Mm. Although Premier League opposition that will soon be in the championship in right. Huddersfield Town. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Wolves, of course, have also been in action since our last show Monday night. They were at home to Newcastle, where they were extremely fortunate to get a point from that game because that 95th minute equaliser from Wilfred Bolly. Was I mean that was a foul, wasn't it? Did you see this, Jules? Yes, I thought it was a foul, but it seemed to be I was the only one because then everybody I heard, you know, in England was saying like, yeah, Basically, but this is what we do. His hands Completely, on yeah. I've heard oh, Dubravka, well, you Rafa, know, made a mistake. Not, not this Rafa, although we'll hear in a second. But Rafa Benitez certainly agreed with you. I've never seen him look so enraged as he strode onto the field yeah. after the game. Have you? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Perhaps before the uh, fact press conference. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he started it out being quite controlled. But I think that is one of those things that um, continental uh, players, managers can't ever get over. 
the fact that you don't really have any protection for a goalkeeper in the in the six yard box. It's, it's changed a little bit. I think it's become a little bit more um, civilized in that respect. But that was a sort of classic, good old school uh, type challenge that would have never been allowed to stood to stand in in European football. Yeah. Interesting game that anyway, Bristol City hosting Lee Johnson, Wolves. Lee Johnson is a, mm. is a very interesting manager for Bristol City. Extraordinary run of results there. With the, the background there, he was he was on an appalling run of form and they stuck with him. Yeah, they stuck with him. They, it's a, it's a, they have an interesting setup because they've got owners with money and they've, you know, they've, they've, they've built a training ground, I think. They've refurbished their stadium. They, they had a new stand in the stadium as well. It's, it's a very interesting project and... I think they came quite close to having that kind of run and, and being a, a part of the, the contenders to go up never really happened. And maybe, maybe this is the season then. And, and sticking with, with Johnson clearly was the right thing to do as well. All right. Remember, they had a great run in the League Cup, was it last season? When they played United. and So they, they're, they're doing well in cup competitions as well. Absolutely. So uh, Newport play with their weapons. Bristol City enjoy their Johnson. Uh, QPR, meanwhile, take on Watford. Uh, Watford who've made a, or a version of the Hornets because they've been famous for their changes in the in, in previous rounds of this this tournament lying eighth as they do in the Premier League free from relegation worries surely they should go for it at this point I think they should it's a London derby of sorts mm. I think it'd be a miss not to go for it um, you're absolutely right there's no danger of them of any real negative repercussions in the league and uh you know, you're getting at a stage of the competition where it becomes quite exciting, I think, especially with um, a couple of big teams already having been eliminated. So why why not go for it? Why not go for it? Especially since they're facing a team currently lying 16th in yeah. the championship, Queen's Park Rangers. They've lost their last five games. The manager is Steve McLaren. Still. Hmm? Still, still him, yeah. Yep, still Steve still. McLaren. Still Steve McLaren. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> okay. And clearly, since I spent my holidays with Ben Foster and my yeah. uh, my older son scored a goal against him, that's that's been great for him because he's in the form of his life. So, right. well done, Ben. I like Ben. Should say that even though we've just spent thirty seconds ridiculing Steve McLaren, that QPR have not been in the fifth round since ninety six, ninety seven. So, I mean, yeah, quite they an go, achievement. They had they the worst leads. They put them out. Yeah. Face Portsmouth, mm-hmm. put them out in the replay. There you go. Mm. <laughs> All right then. Um, <laughs> but Watford are obviously favourites. What about Palace, who are making the trip to Doncaster? Ashley Picard says, no Palace talk on Monday. Any chance today? Well, of course, Ashley. Because Julien Laurence is here and yeah, he loves Palace. This is my, they're my boys, my All team. Right. Come on then, can <laughs> one Palace... Of your, <laughs> one of your many teams. One of my many teams. They're, my they're long, visiting the, the sideline sixth in League One, Doncaster. Yeah. And of course, they, they put Spurs out in the previous round, didn't they, Palace? But are they going to come undone? Or uh, can Palace dream of another another trip to Wembley? Roy dancing on the sidelines, Pardew fashion. Pardew fashion, yeah. I feel there might be an upset on the cars there. Really? I'm kidding. <laughs> like, I would be... <laughs> By the way, do you, is there anything you want to say about your Palace prediction of them definitely going down? I said it would be a tough season, and I think it is a tough season. I don't think the fans expected such a tough season. Are you going to put those goalposts down now, or do you want to no, shift them a bit more? It's a tough more? season. That's all. I'm, I don't think they're playing great. Right? I mean, I tipped them to go down last year, yes, and then they fired Pardew, and then of course there was a huge upswing in fortune. Mm. So we just we just don't know. That's the thing, isn't it? I've never predicted Palace to go down. Okay. I've got no agenda against the Croydon Eagles. Doncaster are the second highest scorers in League One. 
So they haven't know. beaten a top flight opposition since January 1985. Really, James, when I was one. So. They're due today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, on the subject of Palace, Rafa. Do you remember that story about Dortmund being in for Wilfred Sahar? Was that true? Yeah. And is it still a thing? Um, or is it now Wambisaka? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that uh, Zahar fits into Dortmund's um, scheme of targets. I, I think the money is going to be a, a problem. You know, to buy an established Premier League player is is very, very difficult. Dortmund's game is all about buying guys before they get to that Zaha level so they might have had an interest they might have um, you know maybe tried some clever ways of getting him in, in some capacity but I just don't think it's really realistic with Wan Bissaka I don't know what his what his contractual situation is like to be perfectly honest with you but I think the same problem really arises I mean he will have so many guys um, in, in top six Premier League teams looking at him that if Palace were to sell him, I think he'd be outside Dortmund's price range. Okay. Now, also this weekend, AFC Wimbledon taking on Millwall and Swansea are up against Brentford. There'll be more on those cup ties in the Toodley Football League show, which is out at the moment. But a quick word on Brighton Derby. Uh, Frankie's Rams, who had a one more draw at Ipswich on Wednesday night. Brighton, as we were saying on Monday, in all sorts of trouble. One win and seven defeats in 11 games since they had that 3-1 win over Palace. They were 10th at the start of December. They're only three points from the drop now. Are Derby going to worsen their mood? And is this really where Brighton's interest, where their focus is? Well, we've seen Derby knock out United at Old Trafford. That was in the League Cup, no? Um, so, yeah, certainly. I mean, they're seventh in the, in the championship um, at the moment. Um, I think this is a really oppo- a big opportunity for for both of them. I think Brighton, you know, they've only been in the quarterfinals of this competition three times. Um, you know, I think again, it's uh, it's an opportunity for them to show progress in in their sort of uh, project. And also, um, yeah, they were desperately unlucky against Burnley um, in terms of the Premier League. And if if you if you look at their you look at the fixtures that they've got at the Amex they should still be all right there's there's nothing really there that would worry them too much so you know I think um, and Glenn Murray has this just extraordinary record in this competition where he barely plays in it Mm. and yet he always scores you know he's scored four goals in five FA Cup appearances despite only playing 67 minutes that's amazing (laughs) incredible yeah incredible as I mentioned the uh, Totally Football League show will be all over some of this and will also no doubt be addressing uh, Paul Scholes' arrival at Oldham. Uh, Scholes getting off the mark with a 4-1 win over Yeovil. Uh, they are now 11th Maybe Oldham. United should have appointed him. He'd be like under Paul, Paul Lintz. That was one of the great <laughs> tweets this week. Would United have lost 2-0 to PSG if Paul Lintz had been the manager? <laughs> um, anyway. All right, well, listen, we've got one more part of the show to go and in it we're going to be discussing the big games on the continent. So if you fancy a bit of that, stick around. Okay, if the FA Cup doesn't satiate your desire for football action, uh, this weekend there are big matches available, league ones too, all over the continent. Germany, Rafa, it's top v bottom. Uh, it is. Um, Dortmund are taking on Nuremberg. Dortmund are taking Nuremberg. A Nuremberg team that has Will they just... rally in Nuremberg? Oh, <laughs> stop it. Uh, stop it. Uh <laughs> 
Dortmund, there is a rally there. Dortmund are taking on a team that have just fired their manager, right? Kölner, and the sporting director as Ooh. well. So okay. they don't know quite what to expect. In the reverse fixture, yep. uh, back in the autumn, yep. they won 7 0. Oof. So. It right. could be it could be a good game, shall we say, to come back to right. after hitting a bit of a buffer uh, in recent weeks. Absolutely, seeing their lead chipped away. Only five points now between them and Bayern, who will be away at Augsburg. They on had a one-one draw, didn't they, in the reverse fixture? Yeah, Augsburg on Friday night in the in the reverse fixture. Manuel Neuer made a made a mistake in the last minute to um, to drop the ball and to drop two points effectively for Bayern. I don't think he will necessarily play. Uh, he might still be rested ahead of the uh, trip to, to Anfield uh, with his thumb injury that he's been recuperating from. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he is indeed between the sticks again. But for Bayern on playing on Friday night mm. ahead of Dortmund, an opportunity to just... Put the pressure on. To crank the up the pressure just a little bit. Crank it up. OK, quick question elsewhere. Is Timo Werner going to Liverpool? I don't know um, is the is the honest answer, but I do know that Liverpool are among the clubs in European football very um, eager to mm. explore, shall we say, the okay. opportunity of signing him because you first have to see how he fits into your team, and then you still have to agree uh, agree a price with uh, with uh, Leipzig, who are. Um, can be quite intransigent and uh, reluctant sellers, even if mm. the player only has one year left on his contract. Um, that's why I think this has dragged on a little bit, uh, with Bayern being in the mix as well, but perhaps not really knowing where he would fit in if Lewandowski is still there next season. Yeah. So, so a lot of uh, variables um, uh, up there uh, in the air. But I think there is serious interest. Is that's interest. at least my... My information. Okay, France, where Paris Saint-Germain jewels are away at Saint-Étienne on Sunday night. Yeah, which used to be the the Ibra, Ibra's favorite oh, game. Yeah. Oh, you remember, yeah. he always used to score. There would always used he to be some sort of mock everyone. Or yeah. there was a that scene with the mascot. Do you remember where the the steward tried to put clearly someone of his family, one of the young kids, with Ibra, and Ibra saw it and now put the all the bags. So. He will always stay as the uh, the sort of Ibra kind of games that we were used to, but it's it's not an easy place to go. And they, they won yesterday. They had a game in hand after those um, the Gilets Jaunes protests, you know, right. all those games postponed and everything. So they they're in good form. They're, they're playing really well. They've got a lot of experience at Etienne, and it, it should be an interesting game. Interesting. What about survival for Monaco? How's that working out with the Leonardo Jardim back? He's unbeaten in the league. I mean, he lost his first game in the league cup, which was disappointment on penalties uh, to to draw against uh, Guingamp. And then since that, he won against Toulouse, and then he drew uh, in the last game against against Montpellier. They they're playing much better. They're better organised. Uh, it's a no-brainer that he was going to put. He was going to improve things very quickly. But yeah, it's a it's a big game for them uh, this weekend against Nantes. Nantes, who since the uh, you know the the the, the Emiliano Salah mm. tragedy have been all over the place. Although they won again this midweek in their in their game in hand as well, but he's he's been such an emotional and sad last couple, last yeah three weeks that I, I don't even know how the team, like for example, managed to win against Caen yesterday because they they've been so affected by all of this and it's, it's a tough game for them on Saturday at Monaco Italy there are all sorts of exciting games Atlanta-Milan is 
It's certainly one of them. Atalanta in fantastic form. Milan looking really good with their two January signings, Piontek and Paquetar. And those two teams among the quartet who are chasing the fourth Champions League spot separated those four teams by just one point. So that's going to be huge. Also interesting, <laughs> Inter against Sampdoria. Now, while we were putting together Golazzo on Wednesday morning, we got the news that Icardi, Mauro Icardi, had been stripped of the captaincy by Inter. And we wondered what the significance and what the ramifications of this would be. James, that story has developed considerably over the last 24 hours. It has because um, tonight Inter are playing in Austria against Rapid Vienna and Mario Cardi will not be there. And uh, he was called up, um, but he decided not to respond to that call So up. taking this back to... this, The story essentially begins, what, on Sunday, no? Yes, because um, he had taken part in Inter's win against Parma um, and after the game, Luciano Spalletti had come out and said, uh, club needs to intervene here and sort this out. So people thought he meant the contract and that he was siding with Icardi. Um, but clearly the intervention that he, he wanted was to do with um, Icardi's agent, and who wife. also happens to be his wife, right. who goes on TV every Sunday night and basically takes shots uh, at uh, the club, his teammates, um, the only person in the in the family who is actually taking shots. <laughs> yes, because Icardi's form has been he's, awful. He's without a goal in seven games, which is his worst run in in Italy. And uh, she overstepped the line on Sunday night. That's uh, that is the received wisdom in that she basically said, "Look, um, I would much prefer um, Icardi to get better service than a, a better contract." Um, and uh, some reports that when he returned to training on Monday, the atmosphere in the dressing room was not the greatest. Mm. And it's not the first time that she has made comments about his teammates. For example, when Ivan Perisic handed in a uh, transfer request in January, she went on the same TV show and said, oh, maybe it's because he's got some personal problems with his teammates. So, um, yeah, there was some irony in that Inter decided to communicate this, not with a statement, but with a one-sentence tweet and given that all of her contract demands have been sort of, well, not contract demands, but a lot of the provocative behaviour has been on social media. Right. That was seen as a... Uh, so they asked Icardi, as I understood it, they asked him to disassociate himself from Wanda's comments and he refused. And so they took the armband from him. Yeah, I mean, they He then refused to go to the game. Yes, but I, th I, I th from this morning, it seems that they're not going to fine him for that because they can understand his emotional reaction to such a dramatic decision, which is to basically take, take away, the armband, take off. the armband in mid-season, um, and yeah, give but it to say, "All right, well, I'm not going to turn up for your game away." In well, Vienna. no, I, th I think it was, it was, it wasn't a case of him not turning up. It was him saying, "I don't think I'm in the right state of mind to to go." which I think is pretty understandable, really. What, because they took his armband away? Yeah, but, I mean, you can imagine being told that on, what, Wednesday morning, um, that it would pretty, it would, it's pretty humiliating. Well, yeah, but you, you're a contracted football player. You turn up you, and play the football sure. match and win, win it back, score some goals, and maybe ask sure, but your agent to th concentrate there, on... There is an element of compassion there, and you could see that with... I think that's Inter's problem. I think it's long been their problem. Sure. 
Uh, and yeah, some people have welcomed this because it shows that the club is um, is taking things seriously and wants to to instill some order in what has been an unruly dressing room. Not mm. just not just with Icardi, but with Nyingalan, um, with a number of players who are unhappy. Um, and you only have to look at the reaction to the news that the captain Zamban was being taken away from Icardi and given to the goalkeeper Samir Handanovic, where you see Marcelo Brozovic his teammate liking f- at least four social media posts of Handanovic getting the armband at the expense of Icardi. Um, so how this plays out for Icardi's future at the club, because um, yeah, again, walking into that dressing room, their, their problem with him is that he, def- he n- at no, no point basically said, actually, you know what, we should just keep our mouths shut about my contract and all this sort of thing and defend the team. He always defended the interests of his wife, who was his agent, rather than his teammates. And they thought that was, he'd no longer represented the team and the dressing room as a captain should. This this just a reminder is the player who in his autobiography suggested that the uh, inter-ultras, the, the boys of the Code of Honor, if they wanted to come along for a fight, he would get his mates over from Buenos Aires and they'd sort them out. And the ultras then turned up outside his apartment and it was like where where, where <laughs> banner saying where, where are, are your friends, friends? <laughs> yeah. so uh, i think yeah. the, 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 there are a couple of things to just unpack from that quickly is that um that seemed to be the end for Ricardi at inter and mm. yet he he managed to see that through um and actually keep the captain's armband now this is a, a i think similarly tense moment um i would say that because he managed to see that through it doesn't necessarily mean this is the end for Ricardi. right at Inter, but still, it's um, it's a remarkable story. Sorry, and as you mentioned, Inter Sampdoria is very much the Icardi derby because back in the day, this is where he used to play. That's where he met Wanda. That's where he met Wanda. And everyone should remember that game where he, he played for Inter against Samp with Maxi Lopez, yeah. Wanda's ex on that team. And what scored? I think he scored a hat trick and then celebrated under the uh, the, the Gradinata. The oh. handshake at the start of the game yeah. with all the players. Brilliant. Amazing. All right, well, more of this kind of thing in this week's Golazzo, in which uh, we're also finding time to talk about Tino Sprillia's seasons in Emilia-Romagna with Parma. All right, well, let's get some odds on some of the exciting fixtures we've been talking about. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Bauer. Thank you very much, Jimbo, and hello, listeners. And I know that I don't just speak for myself when I say it's not Valentine's Day unless we hear from Lee Price from Paddy Power and Lee... Let's start by talking about Chelsea versus Man U, the big game in the FA Cup on Monday night. Can you tell us what's going to happen in this one, please? Well, according to Twitter, both these managers are on the brink, but we're back in a repeat of last year's FA Cup final. Despite everything swelling around Stamford Bridge, Chelsea are the favourites. They're evens to go through. United are 23-10 to to win this one. If Chelsea do lose, it's not looking at all good for Sarri. What's going on in the managerial sack race? Yeah, we think it could be time to say Cerevedurci, which I'm glad I had to say rather than spell. Uh, Sarri is the odds-on favourite with the next Premier League manager sacked ahead of Marco Silva. While it's 5-1, to one, he doesn't even see out the weekend. As for replacements, sending Sedan tops a betting ahead of Gianfranco Zola and Frank Lampard. John Terry, nowhere to be seen. I like the look of Watford very much this season and I think that they could go all the way to Wembley and not just to the semi-final. Give me the odds, please, on them scoring three or more against QPR. Not the most exhilarating start to FA Cup weekend, but both teams are probably looking at this tournament as a real opportunity, I'm sure. What for the big favourites here, but both teams capable of goals. It's just 14 to 5, you get your wish of three or more goals, Ben. Tasty. And finally, let's talk about a big FA Cup treble. Doncaster, Bristol and Derby all going through in their respective games. 
we're taking you seriously this time after success earlier in the competition. Donny at home to Palace is the longest price and your biggest challenge, while Derby away at Brighton is the most likely cup set according to our odds. Uh, together, the free bets as a treble comes in at 30 to 1. Very tempting. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, I'm not here next week. I'm off. Uh, But you're going to be listening in the hands of Lindsay Hooper, which is very exciting news. Lindsay will be here and joined by Daniel Story, Michael Cox and Tom Williams as they analyse everything that goes down in the FA Cup fifth round apart from Chelsea United, which will still be yet to play. Uh, So, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Are you going anywhere for half-term, Raph? I'm going going skiing as well, James. Yes. All right. Yes. I'll be waving. Come across Hello. the slopes. Jules, yes. you're also hitting the slopes. Yes, I am. I am. In the Pyrenees, though, you two are going in the Alps. I'm going That's the correct. The hipster place, the Pyrenees. Right, very, very much so. And hipster extraordinary. Are you going skiing, James? Castle, I'm not going skiing. skiing. I'm going can to... You can you ski? I can ski, yeah. Okay. Um, and snowboard. Okay. Uh, yeah. But my posture is terrible. <laughs> it really is. Really? Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm heading off to Italy. Nice. My okay. wife is there. She's been there all week, um, and she's there for a birthday. So I've been kindly invited, which is nice. That is nice. Flights to Italy at the moment, extremely cheap. Got 70, 70 quid returns. Excellent. All right, listener, I think we've reached the end of today's show. Many thanks to Rafa, Jules, and James, and have yourselves a great week until we speak again. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.